Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 224 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Chris Murray, a professional full-time nature photographer living in Syracuse, New York. Chris's photography predominantly features the woods, lakes, mountains, and streams of New York State. Chris is a geologist by training, and his lens is typically focused on quiet scenes of nature in his own backyard. Chris and I discuss a variety of topics this week, including the connection between the study of natural sciences and nature photography, how the history of our art form has influenced his work, copying other photographers, the difficulties of being a full-time artist, and a lot more. Before we get started, I wanted to remind listeners that we have opened up entries into the inaugural Natural Landscape Photography Awards. Time is running out to submit your entries into this unique landscape and nature photography competition you have until August 31st. It was created to elevate and promote photographers and photography that adheres more to the natural presentation of nature. While we do allow some basic editing in the competition, such as adjustments to exposure, contrast, and color, we will be placing a large emphasis on our golden rule, which states that the integrity of the subject must be maintained. To learn more, you can head over to naturallandscapeawards.com, and we are looking forward to see your awesome submissions. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Chris Murray, it's so cool to finally get you on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And I'm um, super thankful that uh, you're willing to not only do the podcast, but also to be uh, one of my victims for the On Landscape column that I write. <laughs> oh, no, that was quite an honor. No, no, it was an honor. I appreciate that. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was a lot of, that's, those are a lot of fun to write, you know, it's uh, yeah, trying to. Yeah. Did an excellent job. I learned things about myself. So it's, it's <laughs> right. Like it's uh, I get to practice <laughs> a little bit of psychology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You have your background, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So for people that uh, that aren't familiar with you and your and your excellent photography, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I um I live in upstate New York, central New York, uh, in Syracuse, which is my hometown. Uh, I lived away for a long time and then God, 13, 14 years already moved back. Um, but I've been pr- practicing landscape photography for God, 25 years now, almost 26 years. Um, is that all? My, yeah, is that all? I know, right? I know. <laughs> Although we'll get into it in some ways, I feel like it's really only been over the past six years. But um, sure. it was, yeah, I was in my final year of graduate studies in geology when I discovered that what I really want to do with my life. You know? So after all that schooling you know, and all that money. I found out what I really wanted to do. But um, yeah, it was the final year of a PhD program in geology. And um, I always enjoyed photography as a kid, like a lot of people do, right? You know, I was always excited to get prints back, but I just didn't quite realize how much I enjoyed it. And, you know, um, I had a, you know, point and shoot 35 millimeter camera. Then one year I just decided to get a real SLR and got the lenses and then um, bought a book by John Shaw, you know, Fundamentals of Landscape Photography, I think. And um, that was it. Once I got that book and, saw the pictures and read his writing. It just lit a fire under me. Um, was he, I, I had he no was idea. In the, was he in the North? He's in the Northeast too, right? No, no. He was Colorado based. Yeah. He's, he's, oh, West. okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's, okay. I mean, he's an old, I mean, he's gotta be, I've never met him. I call him my kind of unofficial early mentor just cause 
it was that book that did it. Um, gotcha. and yeah, I just saw the pictures and realized I wanted to, you know, be able to do that, make those kinds of beautiful landscape photos, you know, deliberately and routinely. Yeah. You know, not by accident and um, just taught myself. And then after a couple of weeks, I was. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you, you can pull that off now. No, 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 it took a lot longer than that. But, <laughs> but it was funny. The timing was weird. I mean, I, you know, I knew, you know, like a lot of people, you chose a major in college. I liked geology, but I never loved it, you know. But um, by that point, you know, the train was already well down the tracks. And I don't come from an artistic family. So the idea of doing art as a career, you know, that was reserved for the rarefied few you know it really wasn't impressed upon me that anybody could do that you know it's just so i did the geology thing for uh, many many years gradually extricated myself from it what's and, uh, um what, so a little known fact about me i was actually a geology major oh, before yeah. i switched to psychology and so i have a huge love of geology and okay. i think it helps inform some of the things I'm super interested in as a photographer, but what is it that you were doing in the field of geology? I was in the petroleum industry. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I went into that. Yeah. So I, you know, I got my PhD and worked for a major oil and gas company for eight years, you know, and it was just um, yeah. you know, spending every day pretending to be someone I wasn't, you know. And, oh yeah. And then after that, you know, after about eight years, just decided that, you know, I had to make a go at someday trying to do this full time. Um, even if it failed, at least I could say when I got older, I tried, you know, I knew there would be regret if I didn't try. And so just gradually, you know, I quit and became a part-time consultant and then moved back to my wife and I moved back to uh, Syracuse and, uh, having grown up here, you know, I just knew how beautiful it was. I wanted the seasons. I lived down in Houston and had to graduate school <laughs> down South as well. So, you know, I wanted winter, I wanted fall, I wanted the four seasons and, um, and in some ways it was the best of both worlds. I, I did the petroleum stuff part-time so i had some the income still coming in but had the freedom to pursue photography more yeah you know but i knew that would be it was good but it was bad it kept me from really doing what i needed to do to advance the photography stuff and then fortunately the geology work dried up and um, which i knew it would and um kind of forced my hand and forced me to you know just give it up for good and um even if more work did come in i just turned it down it never did but um well, yeah, so since 2017, now probably four years, I've been doing this full time. I wouldn't be doing it, I have to say, without my wife, because aside from the moral support, she has the regular job. So the steady paycheck, the benefits, right? So um, yeah, and we don't have children, which also makes it, you know, um, a lot more doable. So. Sure. Yeah. But it's, you, it's don't, you don't have you don't have a 13 year old who begs yeah. you for money to, to buy no, exactly. virtual virtual no. items in, nope. in a PlayStation game. No, no, no. I don't know if that resonates for anyone else, but that that was my that was a, the start of my evening tonight. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, so I was curious, you know, because uh, you know, obviously it resonates a lot with you know my my own personal experience, but. Your, your background in geology, how has that informed how you see the world as a photographer? Um, well, it's funny. As you know, I mean, you mentioned that you have an interest in it. And as you know from this podcast, I mean, so many landscape photographers were geoscientists, right? I think Jennifer yeah. Renwick was, right? Yeah. Um, Mark Bowie, my partner in the Adirondack Photography Institute, he was. Um, Krista McQuish, right? She was a geologist. So, and it makes sense. You, you go into geology because you love the outdoors and you love nature. Um, I think for me, it just, you know, you know, when you're a scientist, right, it's about powers of observation and seeing and 
looking for things. And so I think that's kind of how it informed it. Um, but I'm much more interested in photographing Iraq than I am its provenance or, you know, I remember my early days at the oil and gas company going out for training to the book cliffs in Utah. It was really my first time out West, you know, and everybody's got their noses pressed up against looking for crossbreds and all these things. And I just wanted to photograph. <laughs> Couldn't have cared less, you know, and I was a new hire, you know, it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. If they only knew, but well, I feel like they could have leveraged that. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, let me, um, yeah, you know, I can do something with this, but oh well. But anyway, that's okay. Yeah. That's funny. I um, I went to undergrad in, in Grand Junction, which is right there. There's the mm-hmm. book cliffs. Yeah, um, that's where we went to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's the Colorado National Monument and mm-hmm. the and the uplift there, and yeah. So I totally can appreciate that though too, because I remember looking at those and thinking, man, this is beautiful and i really don't care about any of the uh-huh. ways that i can exploit it as a scientist i just want to take pictures of it oh, same, same here yeah I mean, I mean i was brand new to it at the time of photography but that was my first time in red rock country or you know that whole area and um yeah i was just i just so wanted to photograph it and couldn't care less couldn't have cared less about you know the scientific aspect of it but yeah well, yeah but to your point you know it helps you i think see things that perhaps people that aren't scientifically minded might overlook. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, the powers of observation and just noticing mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, I think that plays a role in it and, and just becoming a naturalist, you know, as a landscape photographer, it helps to be the more, you know, about nature, you know, not just geology, but weather and botany and everything, you know, it just, um, I think it does inform your work and it makes it a bit easier. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be able to read the light and understand what weather can, can do and what it's going to do. And, um, it definitely helps. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I feel like it makes it for a more holistic experience, right? Because you're not only appreciating what your camera is doing and is capable of, but you're also like, oh, there's a interesting clouds happening and this is how that happens. And oh, look at this plant and isn't that interesting? And so I feel like it kind of rounds out your entire experience as a, as a photographer. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, right? It, yeah, it does enhance the experience, right? So it's not so results oriented, which is... Yes, something gosh. I, I, something I struggle against, which we may or may not talk about at some point. But yes, you know, you're focusing more on the experience and less on outcome. Well, maybe that's a fantastic segue because um, one of the things I really appreciate about about you as a photographer and also just um, spending some time on your website um, through writing the on landscape article was was just how introspective you are as a photographer and 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 about and how you write about your experience as a photographer and how you share kind of your misgivings and, and like things that you're not sure about. And I just love that vulnerability and that rawness that comes through in your writing. And um, I was curious, how much of a role does that play in terms of your experience as a photographer? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you recognize that. It wasn't a conscious decision to, to be that vulnerable. I, you know, I think like all artists, right? All Everybody suffers from insecurities, right? I mean, one day you feel like you're doing really great work, you know, you think you're really something. And then next day you feel like you're crap. Right. You or know? you get like one negative comment on a yeah. Facebook yeah. post and you're like, I'm nothing. I'm useless. Sometimes those periods can be last only minutes or an hour, or sometimes they can last days, weeks, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I know, you know, but I always felt kind of, even though I knew that, you know, I always felt kind of alone and I always kind of, when, when big name photographers would write, you know, they never seem to address those things. You know what I mean? It used to bug me. It's like, you know, 
William Neal must still some days feel like he's, <laughs> doesn't he feel, you know, that, you know, I'm not all that. Look at what these people are doing now. Yeah, I don't know. And so it's, you know, you write about what you know, and um, I'm not a natural born writer. It, it's very difficult for me to write. It's very slow and arduous. I love having written, um, but yeah. very rarely does it come easy, um, you know, to form a good paragraph. It can take me, you know, half hour, an hour sometimes. Um, so, you know, those are the things that kind of interest me and I like writing about and it just kind of, you know, goes from there and it, and it helps me work out things too. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why you write, you know, you, you have to galvanize all these thoughts and, and as you're writing, you know, it can take a different direction than you anticipated and you learn something about yourself, you know, or problem solve. Yeah, I'm curious how that deeper relationship with yourself through writing about your experiences, how has that transformed uh, your approach to making images? Um, I wonder. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I never really, I never really connected to. I just kind of considered all part and parcel of who I am. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a bigger answer to that, and I, you know, um, you know, I, I've been, you know, practicing photography for 25 years, but in some ways, like I mentioned it feels like it's only over the past six, and that's because I feel like my everything underwent a drastic change back in 2015, 2016. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I, I never really so much in photography. I don't think about, you know, um, I just it just happens, and I don't give it too much thought which is unusual because I'm a classic overthinker about most things, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure. It's part of who I am. And I guess the introspective part, you know, sometimes I feel like my pictures reflect my personality, but sometimes I feel like they don't because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I feel like I come across as introspective and serious when in reality, I'm kind of just a goofball. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting, right? We like different sides to us, right. You know, so it's, um, yes. You know, I take photography very seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. And so. For sure. Yeah. No, it's interesting though. I feel like through that process of vulnerability and, and putting our thoughts into words on paper or as it were a website, uh, it can sometimes help shift the way we think about ourselves and our own work and our approach to the craft of photography not only from a, you know, what our interests are in, in terms of subject right. or, you know, macro or grand landscape or intimate, right. mm. but also just like how we see ourselves within the framework of the entire community of landscape photography, because, you know, and then I think some of this is social media playing a role in terms of us feeling like maybe we don't fit into that mold of, Oh, I'm not the one getting 20,000 likes on Instagram today. What does that mean? You know, like you said, right, asking right. yourself all these questions. So I feel like that process of writing can sometimes help us process some of the things we're experiencing as, as people. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah. It's something I didn't really think about when I started writing. I just, you know, going back to even before social media, you know, I, another book I'd bought back in the nineties was a John Shaw book on, you know, the business side of landscape photography. And this is before social media. And, you know, one mm -hmm. you got, and it's, although some things are still true today, right. You create content around your photos. So, you know, you just, it's not just posting photos, random photos on social media. It's writing articles, you know, doing exhibits, you know? And so, you know, I wrote magazine articles back then, 
you know, and, um, but it just felt forced and things like that. It wasn't really, yes. me. it was just, it just didn't feel, it felt like I was just creating content, but it wasn't anything new or original or wasn't me. You know, mm-hmm. you think about, you know, you talk about everybody has their own vision, you know, and own voice. Well, you know, yes, there's a vision in the photography side and their own voice on the, I guess, the writing side. And, but writing is tough. You know, I'd like to do more of it. You know, I don't do it as often because I just feel unless it's a strong topic or idea that I feel strongly about, then, you know, the words will never come. You know, I can model my way through it, but ultimately people wouldn't be, it just wouldn't work. You know, I've, you know, everybody produces duds now and then. Right. And so I've done that and it's just like, man, that was forced. (laughs) Knew it all along, still went ahead and did it. And sure enough. Yeah. I can just tell it. Right. I I think the people, the types of content that resonate with people are the the type of content that's actually authentic and, comes from the heart comes from experience it's all been i mean let's face it it's all been said before um and so just like with your photos you know you got to bring it's okay that it's been said before but you haven't said it before at least not that people have heard so if you can do it in your own voice in your own way of seeing it and processing it then that's the right that's a challenge right whether it's writing or in the photographs so you know it's easy but it's incredibly difficult so (laughs) same time (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so <clears throat> one of the things that you had mentioned to me is that you used to, in air quotes, uh, primarily create what you would call objective type landscapes. And I was curious if you could first just describe that for our listeners, and then after that, maybe talk about what has changed. Sure. Well, yeah, by objective, I mean just. I shouldn't say just, you know, there are photographs that were meant to be just literal depictions of what I saw, you know, just showcasing, you know, here's this beautiful sunrise from the top of this mountain, you know, um, you know, aside from choosing the framing, there really wasn't much more of me in it. It was really about the place, about where I was as the summit of Mount so-and-so in the Adirondacks, you know, um, it really wasn't about Chris Murray. It was about a place and a time. And, um, and of course I think, you know, most or at least many landscape photographs kind of fall into that category. And that's what I did for, God, you know, a long time. I started off shooting film and then I didn't go to digital to 2007. And, um, you know, and I learned, you know, all the usual stuff, learned the basics of, you know, the technical side and composition and, and all, and that's, you know, that's mainly what I did. Although I didn't realize it at the time, I didn't know they were objective type landscapes because I didn't like so many of us of our ilk, right. We don't have backgrounds in art. Right. We have usually some kind of, you know, you're an example, you know. Um, right. I'm just going could be a scientist to... or it could be medical profession or engineers. We come from very technical, analytical, analytical backgrounds, which is the antithesis of art. And we also don't have now. And so, you know, I remember back in the 90s, you know, I, I, of course, knew who Ansel Adams was. But I, for the life of me, I couldn't see what the big deal was because, you know, the world is in color. Why do you want to shoot these beautiful landscapes in black and white? I know why he had to do black and white then because of technology limitations. But. I just didn't get it. You know, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to say that, but you know, what did I know? You know, I had no art background of any kind whatsoever. Um, and I didn't have any until God, you know, after 2010, you know, when I finally picked up a book on Ansel Adams and actually read about him. Yeah. So, you know, but I noticed a growing frustration. I think like a lot of photographers, you know, you reach a certain point where you can produce those kinds of photos routinely. Right. As long as you have beautiful areas to get to and, yep. you know, you know, your way around your camera, you know how to, be at the right place you know how to compose a basic scene 
mm-hmm. it's no longer a challenge to make a beautiful photo of a beautiful subject. And, um, and you know, there was frustration. And then I guess the turning point was, and, and you've seen it in my writing, um, and I'm not alone in this, but I remember there was an article in Outdoor Photographer sometime in 2013, 2014. It was by Guy Tal. I'd never heard of him before. And the article was so unlike the typical article in Outdoor Photographer magazine, right? Because it wasn't technical. It wasn't about composition and, you know, anything like that. It was on the idea of a concept, you know, and start off with that quote from Ansel Adams. There's nothing worse than, you know, um, a sharp image of a fuzzy concept, something like that. Right. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I remember reading it thinking my first reaction was, what a bunch of gobbledygook, you know? It was completely just, you know, it wasn't unlike any article on photography or landscape photography I'd ever read. and it was just so weird. And I just thought, well, what is this? You know, and right. why aren't you talking about aperture and shutter? Oh, yeah. Speed? You know, and I thought, you know, <laughs> I thought it was all just a lot of kind of hooey at first, but then I, but it stuck with me. I thought, you know, but his pictures were beautiful and different. And I just thought, is there something here? You know, am I missing something? You know, it was enough to at least make me wonder. And then I don't know I forgot about it. And then I don't, you know, when the more than a rock came out, you know, in 2015, I can't remember why I bought it. Maybe I saw a description on it and I remembered him. And I thought, well, it sounds interesting. Let's give it a try. And, you know, I wasn't halfway through the preface when I realized that it was going to change everything for me. It's, a game, it's a game changer. Oh, it was. It, it just, like I said, um, those first couple of paragraphs um, just, you know, and that's so I tell people, you know, it changed the types of photos I make. It changed my approach. It changed how I think about photography and it, you know, it changed my life really because I live and breathe this stuff. And so um, that's why I kind of consider my career kind of really began. There was a pre, you know, I hate to say career, but, you know, I did photography for 20 years and then in 2015, it really took, you know, a different direction. And so I feel like I've been a true, I don't know, I hate to say artist, but photographer, but, you know, since that time. So it's mm-hmm. kind of been a tale of two. <laughs> you know, there was the pre-2015 and, you know, and now the last six years or so. So what are some uh, measurable and or specific ways in which your photography has changed since then? Um, just um, my approach. You know, I don't plan shots anymore. You know, I don't try to be at a certain place at a certain time, um, mm-hmm. waiting for certain conditions. You know, um, You know, I used to wake up in the morning and, if I was too lazy or I thought it'd be crappy light. And then if it turned out to be a glorious sunrise, it used to eat me up all day long. I feel like there's this missed opportunity. Like the world needs another sunrise photograph. You know, it's like, who cares? <laughs> it's just, you know, but it used to, it was just, so there was that, it was being results oriented. It was all about the shot, you know, forget about the experience. It was just, you know, if I went out for a couple hours one morning, even if it was beautiful conditions and it came home with nothing worthwhile, I felt disappointed. I felt frustrated. I felt like it was a waste of time. Yes. Never mind the fact that you supposedly love nature, right? You idiot. You know, I mean, so (laughs) it was just being so tied into that pressure to self-imposed pressure just to produce photographs. And um, so it just changed. Yeah. You know, I just, now I just go out with no preconceptions. I just go and I go, don't worry about the weather. I don't worry about the light. I just see what happens. I have no idea of what I'm going to photograph. Um, there's that. And then just trying to enjoy the experience more. And then, but also, you know, bringing myself into it, not you know, just making much more, I guess, personal photographs, right? Subjective. Um, they could be from anywhere. Yeah. I, I still go to the Adirondacks, but most of the pictures I, photos I make there could be from anywhere. You know, there's nothing in them 
that says Adirondacks. You know, it's it could be a tree anywhere. You know, so which is good. Um, it's bad from a, in some ways from a money making standpoint, but um, those are the prices you pay in some ways. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's interesting because I had a very similar experience in 2017 where I finally was able to shed that whole. I have to be at this place at this time in order to make mm-hmm. this photograph, and I've, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? But I've been trying to help other people with that. I mean, I I um, recently did this really long trip to California and to the redwoods and to the Alvar desert of Oregon. And, and I met up with, um, uh, one of the listeners, John Fisher, he's from Dallas and he was on a trip up to Oregon for about a week to, you know, he had very specific locations in mind that he wanted to photograph. And Uh I think, you know, as often happens in landscape photography, his plans were stymied by conditions and, Right. By other variables that are much outside of our control as people and humans. And and I think he kind of came home a little bit disappointed because, you know, he took off time. I, hey, ho- I hope he's okay with me telling the story, but, you know, he came home disappointed with, um, with the results that he was, that he came back. He wasn't what he expected was going to happen. And, and I was, I was really struggling trying to find a way to, uh, help him understand or see like there's a different way to approach this like when i left for my trip to go to oregon and to california i literally had no expectations like Mm -hmm. if i got an amazing photograph of sunbeams in the redwoods and you know mist and fog cool if if i didn't that's cool too Mm -hmm. um and i i feel like when you can shed that expectation and it just opens up so much more opportunity to um, instill, like you were saying, instill some more of your personal self into your image making. It can, it can help you see things that you previously may not have been open to seeing. Um, I just feel like that's, it's a much more sustainable approach to photography uh, in terms of your mental health too, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. Well, that's, yeah, that's where, again, so much of that frustration, I found it liberating. Yes, you know, yes, very liberating. Because, you know, I live in the east, you know, the northeast, and yeah, it's beautiful here. Um, but you know, it's not as grand as it is out west. And so, you know, if you limit yourself, but wherever you are, you know, if you limit yourself to just spectacular locations, you know, and spectacular light, you are going to be frustrated more often than you are satisfied, you know. And so, you know, to let go of that, and it takes time, right? You just don't do it overnight. It's a way of mm-hmm. thinking and reasoning and it's just yeah to let go of that and realize that in any conditions i there is a possibility and in midday light even if it's not black and even if you're not shooting black and light black and white you know i might (laughs) make a good photo you know i mean i always tell people one of my lectures or presentations you know my personally favorite photo came on a day when i would have least expected it you know it was late winter bright sunshine old crusty snow and bare trees and yet you know, um, I went out, I almost didn't go because I thought, you know, there's, I'm not going to make any good photos. And then I reminded myself, no, you know, it's still a lovely day. Go for a walk in the woods Bring the camera. If you see something fantastic, if you don't, you had a nice walk in the woods and lo and behold, you know, um, I came away with something that again is 
you know, possibly my own personally favorite photograph. So that was a huge lesson. It was just like, wow, look what the, look what, look what can happen, you know, that's wonderful. You know, I mean, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you say that and you do go out and you don't, you do come home with nothing, but you know, with time you get used to that and you realize that's okay. You know, you know, this pressure, I don't know if, if you were like this, you know, but for, for years, I just felt a self-imposed pressure to make photos. You know, oh, if, yeah. if, if, if a couple of months went by and I didn't produce a photo, it's almost like I felt, you know, I don't work for National Geographic. You know, nobody's hounding me for these photographs. Why am I keeping score? And why am I feeling like I have to produce regularly? You know, where is that coming from? And you know, I'm not, I have ideas, but I've shed all that. So, <laughs> well, it's probably different for, for everyone. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, yes, that definitely resonates with me as well. And I think that that type of mindset also created some unhealthy expectations for myself in terms of comparing myself with other people. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think we all do this to some degree, but, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of unhealthy habits that we have as photographers uh-huh. that kind of take away from the creative process. Oh, sure. You know, and right. I think what you're describing is a way to to eliminate as much as much of that noise as possible, and it really can help you uh, grow as an artist and also just see the world in a different way. True, the yeah. way only the way that you can. Only the way you can, right? Yeah, I think there's just, but there's so many things that can hinder that and block that, as you know. Yes, and um, you just you know you didn't. I know. I mean, I'm self-taught, you know, but outdoor photographer magazine didn't tell me those things, <laughs> you know, um, you know, the things that I, how I learned photography, you know, and nothing kind of addressed any of that, that stuff, you know? And again, it wasn't until, you know, more than a rock, you know, guy's book that somebody did, you know, and as he says, you know, he didn't make this stuff up. This is all, you know, this comes back from Alfred Stieglitz and Myra Way. you know, this goes back over a hundred years ago, but if, almost for this generation, he synthesized it into something that people hadn't heard for decades. It's funny how all those learnings from the giants, you know, whose shoulders we stand on, somehow in the latter half of the 20th century kind of got lost. You know, we could talk yeah. hours. On that. I have theories as to why that's the case, but it kind of got forgotten, you know, and then I know, I know, again, it took me 20 years before I knew of any of this stuff, you know, and it's probably my fault more than anybody, but <laughs> for not educating myself sooner, but it is what it is, but anyway. Well, you say you have theories. Like, what are your thoughts on on some of the root causes of that? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, back then, you know, it was all black and white, and so you had to do darkroom. So that's where you could really manipulate. I hate to say the word manipulate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Put your own, you know, subject. I mean, you know what Ansel Adams did in the darkroom. I mean, he radically changed the photos. You know, um, um, but then. You know, with technology, when color became big and color slides, you know, when I, I learned on shooting color slide film, you know, your job was done the moment you press the shutter, for better or for worse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you were stuck with what you had. So no color for, you know, in 35 millimeter SLR cameras, you know, um, everything was easy and quick. Nobody did darkroom anymore. Um, you press the shutter and you're done. And it's not to say that you can't make, you know, um, very subjective photos that way. You can. I mean, look at Elliot Porter, you know. Um, sure. But so I think that thought of, you know, you can change this, you know, photograph, I can, you know, change the the tint or the temperature of it or do this or do that to it or darken that sky, you know, that's what they did, you know, 50 years ago, you know, but 
so now, you know, it seemed like when Photoshop came around and you could do that with color images, do all the things that the black and white photographers did, you know, a hundred years ago in the dark room, it was something new, you know, and then we're, that's why I think in a lot of ways we're all wringing our hands over these things. It's like, you know, the age old argument, right? You know, is it manipulation, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like they were doing that a hundred years ago. You know, you put a polarizer on your lens and you've altered it. <laughs> this is you know, true. You know, we don't see polarized with our naked eyes. So anyway, that's neither here or there. That gets into that whole topic of, you know, manipulation, all that stuff. Right. But anyway, I, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's uh, it's funny because I was told today that I don't speak more, I don't speak strongly enough on that topic, and I just had a chuckle because it's like I'm pretty sure I've covered it pretty extensively on the past. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And very well. I know. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a you know it's a dead horse you know, but it keeps coming back to life. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, the history of photography. And I'm curious, why is the history of photography of interest to you? And how have you leveraged that particular interest in your image making process? Um, yeah, it's just, you know, after reading More Than a Rock, I just, you know, I saw these names, Minor White and, you know, Ed Weston and all these. And, you know, I'd probably maybe I've heard I had heard one of one or two of them, some I'd never heard before. And, you know, I like the quotes I had seen from them. And so, you know, I just got curious. And then, you know, when I read up on them and bought their books and, you know, read their philosophies, um, which is still an ongoing thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, I just realized that these things that guy were taught was talking about, well, yeah, these are not new ideas, you know? Um, it just, it's, I like to say it, it's as if they gave me permission to pursue my own photography, my own personal, you know, my own vision, hmm. um, not only in their writing, but also their photographs. You know, I saw what they did, you know, I, you know, I would have doubts about some of my own photography. Then I look at some of Paul Capernegros, who's one of my biggest influences. And, and William Neal. And he would do something similar. I'm like, well, he got away with it and he's considered a legend. So, you know, I guess I can do that. You know, So it's almost as if, you know, because they weren't your classically composed, you know, wide angle photographs. You know, they were, um, it was just different. Um, and so it just... I guess it just informed me and it gave me confidence, I think, just to pursue my own vision, knowing <laughs> that, you know, and then it was just a case of, you know, not just mimicking them, but using that inspiration to try to put my own spin on it, which is always, you know, one of the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you had uh, mentioned just now and also in our correspondence about mimicking, and you said that uh, you're a big believer in the idea that good artists copy and great artists steal. And I was curious, um, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that was a, that version of it was a Steve Jobs uh, quote, but uh -huh. Stravinsky <laughs> said something very similar than Picasso said also something very similar. Mm -hmm. It's just the idea that, you know, by stealing, it's not plagiarizing. It's um, well, let's think about it. Let's be honest. You know, most creative work is not 100% original, right? Mm -hmm. Most, all creative really builds on what came before it. Yeah. You know, as much as we like to think we're creating something that the world has never seen before, it's like, well, eh. you know, it's a continuum. So by stealing, it's, you know, using that, you know, being inspired by something, you know, let's say a photographer artist, you really enjoy their work and using that inspiration as a starting point and then putting your own spin and your own vision onto it. So now you've made it your own, right? You've taken an idea that they put forward, but you've made it your own 
now you kind of own it, you know? And so I guess in that way, I think that's where the steel comes from, you know? So you're not just mimicking, it's using that, you know, using that influence to, um, it informs your vision, but you still, you know, make it something personal that you did. You know, it's not just a blatant ripoff of, a, you know, Harry Callahan photograph, you know, just, mm-hmm. and that can be hard. You know, you talk about photographic celibacy and there's some that are all for that and some are, are against that, you know, um, um, it's just, you got to have faith in your own, you know, I don't think you should ever restrict yourself from looking at other people's photographs, you know, I understand the worry that it can unduly influence you when you find yourself, but you just got to be as hard as it can be objective of your own work as much as you can be Mm. realize, you know, and don't suffer from delusions of grandeur, realize that, yeah, that's a great photograph, but it looks exactly what (laughs) somebody did 60 years ago. You know what I mean? I really haven't tried anything new. Okay. All right. So let's try to do better. Let's, you know, use that idea, but let's try to make it me, you know, let's not make it so-and-so. So, and for me, that's, you know, that is a, it's a huge challenge, right? You know, just to allow your own vision to come through on these things. Because, you know, let's face it, every subject really has been photographed before. It just hasn't been photographed by you, you know, or me. Right, unless you're, so, uh, unless you're like you, on the surface of Mars or something like right, that. Right, yeah. So, you know, um, so what are you going to do with that subject? You know, now this is where you have a chance to do something unique with it and let your own experience how you relate to it and feel it and come through yeah that's something i'm really interested in talking about because uh, i think it's something well hopefully the fact that i struggle with it is means that maybe a couple other people struggle with it too but this idea that um you know when you're in the field and you're making images like i know this is like a, a very esoteric question but how do we know when we are making images that are part of us, you know, how do we know that that's like, is that done in the field? Is it done through what we're taking interest in as photographers based on our, you know, like, like you and I said, our, our interest in naturalism and geology and biology, mm-hmm. or is it done um, and, or is it done uh, in the, in the, in the digital dark room in terms of, you know, like, I really want to, you know, make this more moody or I want to make it more energetic. Like how do we know and what does it look like in terms of instilling us into our photographs? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess for me, I just, it happens all along the way. Right. I mean, even before we see it, if we're just, you know, you, you know, you have to first and foremost, you know, you think about the things that get in your way of, or get in the way of you expressing your own vision, right? There's a lot of things, you know, the quest for popularity or if you're doing this full time and you want to make money, you know, you worry about utility, you know, you know, if, I, if nobody can tell this is a photo from the book cliffs and I'm submitting it to a calendar on the book cliffs and <laughs> it's not going to get purchased, you know? So, you know, letting all that go and knowing that, you know, I'm just doing this for me, you know, I don't care about utility. I don't care if it makes a buck, you know, I don't care if people like it. Um, and just carrying that through and it, I think it just comes through. I mean, it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong challenge, right? I don't think there's an easy answer to it. I think in some days you can do it. In other days, things get in the way. You're distracted or whatnot. Um, you know, those are those days when you get in that flow, when things just seem to work, you know, and you block out the rest of the world and you just see things very well. And yeah, it starts a capture. And, you know, there are those that believe big time in visualization, right? imagining in your mind's eye what you want the final processed photo to look like. Then there are those who say, well, no. And it just depends on you, you know, 
sometimes I do that, but you know, oftentimes in processing, it takes a completely different direction. You know? I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, I mean, I get, I get, you know, I get the idea of visualization or pre-visualization, however you want to call it. You know, I get that, and I believe that's true, right? Because that can inform the technical decisions you make in the field. If you know oh. you're going to do this in processing, well, then you want to optimize, right? You want to set yourself up for success. You know, when you process it later. So, right. I get that, but you also shouldn't be so married to that ideal. You know, some, you know, I do more and more black and white photography. So sometimes I find myself in the field automatically think, oh, it's going to be black and white. And it's like, no, it doesn't, you know, in processing, no, I'm going to keep this in color. And so it's just, you know, so much of this, Matt, it's instinct, right? I mean, it goes, mm. I think Brett Weston, you know, instinct is just memory plus experience, you know, a very simplification of it. But it's like, yeah, it's kind of right. You know, the longer you've been doing this, you know, you just work on instinct, you know, you read articles on composition, you know, and visual flow and how you want eyes to move through a photo. But do you really think of those things when you're composing a photograph? You know, oh. I mean, really, I mean, you really, do you really kind of go through that checklist of, oh, the golden ratio and oh, I like how this does, you know, you know, I just, for me, well, I'll let so, you answer that. But <laughs> I, I was just going to say, sometimes I do. Mm -hmm. But not always, you know, it's, um, I feel like I do that when, when I'm struggling to find a composition that works naturally um, based on instinct, right? So if something is instinctively like, oh, this works great and I don't even have to think about it, boom, it's, you know, it's, it's obvious to me. Right. No, but if it's something where I'm approaching a scene, like oh, the Redwoods is a good example of this. I feel like if you want a masterclass or if you want to feel bad as a photographer, do a lot of forest <laughs> photography because oh, you're constantly challenged with some of these questions because, you know, I was constantly, I would constantly find myself looking at scenes where I could intuitively see that it could work. You know, I can, I, I just knew like based on instinct, like, Ooh, there's a lot of elements here that can work, but I can't piece it together. Right. right? And so that's where I kind of fall back on some of the like, okay, mm, okay, so maybe I need something to anchor the scene here. And how am I going to flow the, per how am I going to flow the eye through this scene? And so I think it really depends on the, the, the scene they're approached with and, and how in tune you are with your instincts and how fine tuned those instincts are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think there are certain scenes that call for that more than, more than others. Um, yeah. You know, if you think about, you know, kind of classic wide angle grand landscape scenes, and maybe those are kind of scenes that do call for that, right? Sure. Um, but then if you're doing scenes that are more intimate in nature and stuff like that, then it's kind of all out the window. Yeah, I just, you know, like a lot of people, I just look through the viewfinder and you know, zoom in and out and kind of up and down and left and right. And just when you find that thing that just speaks to you, and it's just like, ooh, you know, it's almost like you say to yourself, ooh, you know, it's like, okay. And you're saying, ooh, because those things have happened, right? You've got you yeah. know, good balance, you know, you got something in the photo here, but you know, it's just, but you know, when you've been doing it for a long time, I think it just, you know, again, it's instinct. You don't really go through your head. Why it just, you're feeling it, it just works. You know, you look at it, you like it. <laughs> so if you like it, then well, hopefully other people do, but as long as you mm -hmm. like it, then. Yeah. You know. A lot of times I find myself, you know, without the camera out or without zooming in and out or whatever, I'm looking at a scene and I'm, and I have those, res those responses you're describing like, Ooh, Ooh, I see uh -huh. this. I, I can see there is something 
here. Right. Well, that's the concept, right? I mean, that's what, yeah, the concept, you know, there's something there, then it's. Yeah. So like, how do I, it. like, how do I drill into it and really nail it? You know, <laughs> yep. I don't know sometimes, how often this happens. Sometimes, for it happens you. sometimes it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how often this happens for you, but uh, this trip I did last month to the Redwoods, I had this happen like 50% of my images or attempts at images where I found myself at a spot at a look, you know, looking at something and I'm like, Oh, and I had that response. Ooh. ooh. Uh-huh. And then I get my camera out and I get the lens out and I'm like, Oh, never mind, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like, okay. uh, uh, yep. I found that to be very interesting as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it goes both ways, right? Yes, or sometimes to your naked eye, there's nothing there, but when you put glass to it, you know, it's like, Oh, look at that, you know, oh, there's like, something you put here. That black, you know, I still compose with a viewfinder because I like having that black frame, it blacks out all the peripheral vision, you know, and so. Sometimes you do that, things just appear that didn't to the naked eye or vice versa. Yeah, it looks great to the naked eye and you just can't make it work. Mm-hmm. If you can't make it work, you try and then you just say, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Try to move on. Yeah. Well, one, one thing you said um, earlier in part of this this discussion uh, around this topic was uh, that you have embraced letting go of the utility Mm-hmm. Of a photograph and its ability to, you know, your ability to monetize it. And yeah. I think for, for a lot of photographers that might be counterintuitive and, or almost sound silly. And I'm curious, how have you found that experience and how has it, that approach translated for you in terms of your ability to actually monetize it? Um, it's hurt it. I mean, you know, when I started doing this full time, you know, four years ago, um, I was aware of these issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I'm a broken record. I know I always tell people. You know, people think I'm. You know, I'm camped out in front of Guy Tal's house stalking him. You know, he talks about this in more than a rock. You know, about you know, the more personal your photos are, the less auditorial they are, right? So, certain revenue streams are going to dry up. I used to submit photographs to different calendar companies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's gone now because I make hardly any images that our calendar type images. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, in some ways you are making the road harder for you, mm-hmm. but I just decided at the outset when I started doing this full time, that one thing I wouldn't compromise on is I mean, it sounds cheesy and sounds, you know, like I'm a great <laughs> guy, but I wouldn't compromise on my artistic vision. I won't, you know, I won't make a, I won't click the shutter just because that scene, that photograph will sell, you know, um, I was recently out with another photographer, um, a fabulous photographer. Our, our, we're doing a workshop together. And the reason I thought it would be good to do a workshop together is because we're completely different in every way, shape, and form, personality, yeah. photos we make. And, um, and, and he said, what if you, you know, if you only had a choice, we read a scene, you know, and students were kind of done. And he just said, if you had a choice of making only one image, one that would be your artistic vision or one that you knew would sell and make decent money, what would you choose? And I said, well, certainly the artistic one. He said, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, so it, it's a personal decision, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just, but then you have to realize, okay, well then certain revenue streams will not be available to me. And now I just have to figure out, you know, am I okay with that or how to make up for that? You know, and you know, everybody's, everybody's situation is different, you know, and it's, it's a struggle. You know, I've only been doing this four years full time and it's, it's, it's been an adventure, which always sounds fun, but it's not always fun. You know, you know, when you pursue this kind of stuff, it's, it's a trade off, right? Nothing in life is free. And so you trade financial security and security in general for freedom. 
to pursue what you like to do. And, and at least in the beginning, you know, it's hopefully at some point, it's not like that, you know, um, but you make these decisions and you realize that, you know, the more, you know, maybe the less compromising you are, the more difficult you're going to make it for yourself. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? I mean, the arts have always been plagued with this problem. Uh Um, And if you think about way back in the day of like the Renaissance, there was kind of a really fantastic model for this. I mean, that's why how Patreon was created. There's, there's patrons of the arts. Like these are people that just give artists money to just create whatever they want to create. Right. And, um, and I think that kind of eliminates a lot of those X, those kind of extrinsic motivations that often may compromise us as artists. Um, Maybe not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to want to make money as an artist, but um, like if you, I feel like if you were to flip that question on that particular photographer, whoever that person is, Mm -hmm. and you were to say, great question. And what if we used your same question, but we also eliminated our need for money? Right. Would you, how would that change your decision? Sure. Right. And I think sometimes that, 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 coupling to monetary gain can Uh sometimes cripple us creatively and also really just compromise our our images and our our artistic vision in a way that maybe we're not even conscious of right no i agree it's it definitely it's it's a concern and it's a valid concern right i mean money makes (laughs) you have to be able to live you have to be put food on the table and, and hopefully continue to do what you love to do so um so it's, you know, it's not a trivial matter and it's, and that's why there's no judging. It's, it's just got to find it works for you. I mean, I'll be completely honest. One of the ways I've gotten around it so far is I do some commercial work on the side, you know, sure. still photography, but I do some real estate photography. Um, it's easy, stress-free, doesn't pay that well, but, but um, it's for now I have to do that. And I ask myself, well, you know, what if you had the choice of not having to do that, but just taking, but making you know, quote unquote, calendar images now and then, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, I'd rather do the real estate photography because that's separate from the creative, you know, photography, you know, mm-hmm. this way, the creative photography is for lack of a better term, pure, you know, it's, it's not tainted by utility or needs for this or that, or anything like that. This, the real estate stuff, the commercial work, that's just completely separate. And so, well, but and- again, it's just a personal you know decision. Well, that's not uh, that's not a novel idea, right? I mean, Ansel Adams was criticized for making similar uh, decisions with you know putting images on the you know uh, coffee oh, cans yeah. and yep. Yep. stuff like that. But you know, I feel like if you can find a way to monetize photography in a way that doesn't compromise and whatever whatever that looks like for you individually, I feel like that's probably the best approach in terms of. Well, I'm just going to speak for you and me. I feel like we're on the same page there, but I don't like, I don't, I've been there before. I remember in 2015, 2014, 2015, almost all my photographs were monetarily driven mm-hmm. and it's all trash, you know, like it's, right. um, I mean, yeah, of course it's like technically okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but it doesn't like, look any from anybody else's. Yes. It's all yeah. the same stuff. And so, mm-hmm. um, and the stuff that I've made since 2017, I feel much more happy about and like uh-huh. 
I think is more interesting. And so I, I feel like, I mean, I'm not saying it's like objectively better, but I like it more. Well, that's what matters. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you don't get there just like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, it'll continue to the day we die. <laughs> as long as we do this, it's, it's just always evolving. Right. It's just a, yeah, it's an evolution, you know, hopefully yeah. our photography, yours and, you know, photography for you looks different five years from now than it does today. I hope right? so. Yeah. yeah. I hope mine looks <laughs> different, you know, a year from now than it does today. That's the goal. All right. Um, yeah. You know, it's, you know, we change, we go through life and new experiences and hopefully that, you know, translates into how we see. And what's interesting about that for me anyway is different isn't always better, but it's important for me to try. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, experiment. And that's, yeah, I agree. I think sometimes that's an area sometimes I struggle with is, you know, that experimentation. You know, I still have that analytical bent to me and it, you know, it, it's always there, you know, and so trying to keep that, you know, buried or at bay and just, you know, recognizing it and then just putting it away is, it's tough, you know, you fall back into bad habits easily, right? I mean. Oh, I do big time. <laughs> oh, I do too. I mean, this whole spring, I just fell back into bad habits, you know, and in, in, in certain ways, you know, and just, yeah, and just catching yourself and just, and why is that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, some of it for me is um, being away from the camera for an extended period of time. I feel like that's when I fall back on old habits is uh-huh. I'm trying to get comfortable again. And then it ta- and it's almost like, I mean, it takes less and less time each time you go through this, but I feel like for me anyway, it's, um, it's kind of a process by which I, okay, I have to remember what this whole camera, th- this photography thing is about. And okay, I've gone through that, making those kind of boring things that are not that interesting. Maybe it was interesting to me 10 years ago, but I've done that and I'm dialed in again and now I can progress again. You know, almost yeah. like if you haven't done algebra for a while or like sp- right. spoken Spanish yeah. for a while. Or written, <laughs> or written for a while. It's funny how, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Matt, because yeah, I, it was a busy spring and I just really haven't made any creative photos for weeks. And so, you know, yesterday I went out for the first time and it was almost like starting over again. You know, when you do it, you know, I mean, I'm supposed to be doing this, even though I do this full time, you know, other things get in the way. Right. And so workshops and whatnot and the whole marketing side of things and um, or just life. And um, so yesterday I was just I was just giving myself slack. You know, I was like, don't worry about coming up with great images. Just I kind of felt like I was starting over again, you know, and, you know, I know the camera. It wasn't about that. Technically, I remembered everything. It's, you know, the camera's like I've had that camera for eight years now. It's like. You know, it's like an extra appendage, you know, um, yeah. it's just seeing and just not worrying about things and just, yeah, it just felt almost kind of foreign, you know, it's funny when, yeah, just a few weeks pass and, you know, but it's good to, I guess, recognize that and just cut yourself slack and <laughs> yeah, it's important it. for me. It's, um, it's always interesting when I'm around other photographers and I can see that they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Like, oh, I have to, I have to wake up at 5 a.m. To, mm. win, to photograph this and this is the scene I have in mind and yep. and uh, for me I mean I totally appreciate that because I used to be that way all the time 24-7 as a photographer but it's also very liberating and artistically freeing to not set those expectations for yourself oh yeah and yep. and like be okay with making bad photos yep 
you yep. know, which is easier said than done sometimes. But it is. I, I think if you give yourself enough time, it definitely can lead to better photographs in the long run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just being honest with yourself, too. You know, when you make those bad photos, don't continually try to force yourself to convince yourself that they're 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 good if they work you know yeah, I, like, I struggle with that so, you know, <laughs> and this is not even even though they're technically fine it's just yeah they might be okay but they're just they just no there's just no <laughs> just yeah. just throw it away don't no it's no not gonna work it just let it go you know it's it's okay yeah i sometimes like to uh post some of those photos on social media just as a you know like i recognize this photo isn't great uh-huh. and I want to let you in on a secret that was okay for me to right. create a okay photograph, but it was part of my experience in eventually making something a little bit better. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yep, it's part of the path to that. So. Yeah. 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 I think we're often way too hard on ourselves. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Oh no, no doubt. And you know, that inevitable, you know, one of the things I do often is, you know, the comparison right to others yeah it's poison you know, it is poison and you know it you know you know it you do. Then, you're like the whole time you're like i shouldn't be doing this you're like doom scrolling yeah, instagram or something <laughs> uh, you do. and i am fine for me you know and it might be the same for you it comes at times when you are maybe in a creative lull you know and you feel like yeah. you're, you're, you're you're standing still and then you see some of this amazing work showing up on your feed and it's just like well shoot you know everybody else is doing this and you know i haven't done shit in weeks you know and it's just <laughs> so you know, it's just, again, giving yourself slack and just, no, you know, you know, it's that weird thing. It's really relevant validation acceptance, but you know, it has to come from within ultimately. And it's mm. sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's just, it's hard. You know, it's always a struggle. <laughs> it, just, it really is. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. I feel like but, if you're, if you don't struggle with that, like, please reach out and let Chris and I know what your secrets are. <laughs> yes. No kidding. Well, you know, I, I kind of view that struggle as a good thing because I, you know, it's mm-hmm. dangerous to, you know, if you get too many accolades for your work or too soon or, you know, you can, if you rely so much on people's responses to your work, you know, it can lead to, you know, delusions of grandeur. You know, maybe you're not being as honest with yourself as you could be and stuff like that. Not yeah. that you have to, you know, flog yourself <laughs> regularly, you know, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. Um, But, you know, you have to, you know, just got to maintain a steady head about it and you know it's hard as you know right it's hard to be objective of our own work it's hard you know? so you do kind of rely in general on your audience reaction to it mm-hmm. you know? but that's where audience is key right you find your own audience that re that you know gets what you do and responds to it you know right and then and that's the audience that you you know you don't create for them but you at least you you know their opinion kind of rings you know has a bit more weight to it than you know, because they're familiar with your work and they're familiar with how you think and see the world. And so, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's so they, interesting how intricately twined our experiences are as human beings, psychologically and emotionally with our artwork. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, you're, and yeah, I mean, you know, your background, you were asking about geology and how that informs me. I mean, I can imagine how psychology, I can only imagine just how that I mean, it's got to be endlessly fascinating. <laughs> um, out, outwardly, it is very fascinating. However, I have found it profoundly missing and or difficult intrinsically, like looking inward at my own photography. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, I often hear a lot of 
photographers say really awesome stuff about like TJ Thorne. He talks about this, you know, like, you know, my photography helps me process my depression or like the things that I've experienced as a human being. And when typically when I look at my own work, it's, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with nature and what I've found interesting there. So it's just interesting. I think everyone's, everyone's different in that way. Let me ask you a question then. And, and I'll ask this because it's a, it's a seemingly easy question, but it took me a long time to know the answer to it. And it's not a rocket science question. I mean, <laughs> you know, why, you know, why do you, why do you enjoy landscape photography? Why do it? Why yeah, do you do it? I, love, I mean, I love it seems it. easy, right? Should be easy to answer. And I always, uh, I always laugh because that's one of my favorite questions too, but, uh, and it should be easy to answer, like you said. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and part of my hesitation in answering the question is honestly, is because I think my, I often think that my answer isn't good enough. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but, okay, I know. No, I know. but, but my, my reasons are, um, I just love, uh, being out in nature. Mm-hmm. I love the experiences that I have in nature. I love the way it makes me feel as a human being. I love how it, um, you know, I'm, you know, when I'm in the city and I'm at work, I'm a profound extrovert, but when I'm by myself in nature, I am not thinking about other people. I'm not thinking about what's going on at work. I'm not thinking about politics. I'm not thinking about things that bother me or worry me. I'm thinking about my appreciation and my love for the things that I'm seeing and witnessing mm-hmm. and uh, experiencing. And so for me, it's, uh, I guess it's just, I, what I love about it is it's just this vehicle for me to have a more holistic experience on planet Earth. Okay, right. And I know that sounds cheesy and lame, you know, but know. like I... Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no. But no, I, 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 I am somewhat, I'm kind of jealous of people that are like, well, you know, the reason why I do it is because it helps me um, process my emotions and it helps me see the world differently or whatever, you know, like, um, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Well, well, what about for you? What, what, what is it? What well, are you yeah, like I said, it was, it was something that was hard for me. I used to say, Oh, you know, because I love nature, but then I would ask myself, well, there's a million different ways to enjoy nature. You know, I could just hike. Why photography? And, you know, and so I realized now that for me, and again, it's, it's just a personal thing. It's totally. really, I've, it's all about completely all about just exploration of myself. Hmm. You know, I've learned things, especially over the last several years. You know, I never knew there was an artist in me. I, again, you know, I didn't come from an artistic family. I was good in math and science. You know, I didn't think there was one ounce of this kind of. So now that I know there's something there and I realize that, hey, you know, this is something I'm good at. You know, now for me, it's just, you know, how far can I push this? You know, mm. where are my boundaries? Where are my limitations? And can I push past them? You know, and again, it, mm. when I say how good can I be, it's not a comparison to anybody else. It's just yeah, how, you know, I, the best version of me, you know, it sounds cheesy, but I've learned things about myself. Now I'm intrigued now. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the, yeah, the photography is just really just a vehicle. And I do love nature and, and all the, for all the reasons you mentioned, um, but Nature is really kind of secondary for me. It's just mm-hmm. now it's become this kind of challenge to see, you know, I've learned this much about myself. What else is there to learn? And, you know, you know, I'm 52, you know, I'm still learning fairly obvious things about myself, you know? So, you know, what more is there, which is intriguing to me. So, 
So yeah, I guess it's just about, you know, just self-discovery again, which is nothing new, right? I mean, I think most artists can also say that as well. So No, I, I can appreciate that. I know deep down inside that that's happening for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I've even spoken to that a little bit in the past or even written a little bit about it. But I guess for me where it's a little different is that when I'm actually engaged in it, it's not top of mind right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's only after the fact when I've had time to kind of revisit what was what was happening and actually think about the processes that were occurring and my mm-hmm. reactions to those things where those revelations occur. And so that's where from, and I also love that. I love that it, it creates that space for you to, to have those kind of conversations with yourself. Right. No, I know it's funny you're you're comparing yourself to like, you know, like, like TJ, you know, how, you know, you hear some people talk about it and they seem so, you know, it just sounds so perfect. You know what I mean? It's almost mystical, you know, the way they, (laughs) you know, but some people are just, everybody has their own way of processing it and talking about it. I was going to say something else about, I don't know where I started with that, but now I've lost track of where I was going to go with that. But anyway, it's just, oh yeah, I know, you know, you know, you look at some like Brett Weston, you know, extremely celebrated. You know, but he was completely nonverbal. You asked him about photography, he just didn't want to talk about it. When you, whenever you got to talking about vision and how do you see, you know, he just thought, oh, I don't care. You know, he just, he couldn't and had no desire to verbalize. Yeah. He spoke completely through his work. You know, it was so, you know, I like that, you know, in some ways. You know, he was the exact opposite of like Minor White. You know what I mean? Right. He probably thought Minor White was just full of it, you know, and <laughs> as did many people, you know what I mean? And so you had, you know, people like Meyer, then you had Brett Weston and, you know, and everybody in between. So it's just, you know, it's just, it's no, one's it. no more valid than the other. It's just how you, they're in there. Those things are, I think, in you. It's just how right. much you, I struggle with the verbalization of that as well. I just don't have that. That's why I always kind of say, oh, it's instinct. <laughs> That's my, it's my easy way out. <laughs> I, don't I, have, I don't have to, now I don't have to describe it. You know, it just sounds, you know. Yeah, yeah I like that. You know, one of the, um, uh... One of the things I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about was, um, so, you know, we had alluded to it earlier, but some of the cha- other challenges or difficulties that you have being a full-time artist, you know, we've talked about kind of that unwavering compromise to artistic vision and, and, and you know, not placating our need to, uh, you know, the utility of the photograph and, and, mm-hmm. and that, that requires a little bit of sacrifice probably, but I'm curious, what are some of the other difficulties that you have as a full-time artist? Um, yeah. Other than those, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just, you know, sometimes I, whether they're valid or not, things of like just connecting with the audience, you know, um, you know, I've been leading workshops now for, I think this is my fourth year. And I never took a workshop myself, <laughs> so, you know, so that's been a learning experience. And it's, um, you know, I don't say if I'm an introvert, I'm really pretty much toward the center. You know, if I'm an introvert, it's, I'm just a barely an introvert. You know, I do have a lot of extroverted tendencies, but sure. um, so, but, you know, group settings like that with people I don't know, it's hard, you know, um, you know, I, I lead workshops with the Adirondack Photography Institute and there's one other main photographer and he's been doing this for years and years. And I just watch him sometimes because some workshops we do together and his way of relating to people, you know, it's just, you know, so trying to, just a lot to learn. It's just trying to connect with people. And that's one area, I, even on social media, I often feel, you know, um, out of place there. Um, 
it just you know, I'm not alone in that, right? I mean, it's no. not a love-hate relationship. I, I don't hate social media. You know, it has a purpose, and it's it's great for certain things. It's just, you know, you know, I, I guess I just get uncomfortable with a certain degree of um, activity, or you know, it's hard to describe. You know, without you know, it's just I like to post stuff, um, and I'll post something, but you know, I just I guess I just I just, I don't really engage other photographers very much you know on social media or in general you know and i'm a social person you know it's it just i you know so sometimes but i see on social media some photographers they really seem to have this community they've all gotten to know each other over social media you know in some ways you know i'm jealous of that and envious of it but then i realized well i haven't done anything to make that happen for myself i could um but it just doesn't feel right i guess it just takes me a while to warm to people i guess i am i'm not shy but at the same time it's just I don't know. I guess that's the introvert side of me. It, it's maybe it's maybe I'm more introverted than I think. And it's just social media often makes me feel awkward. You know, you want to be accepted and have a, you know, get lots of likes. But if I post something and, or mention something and I get too much positive response, then I feel embarrassed and awkward. Then I just, <laughs> yeah. then I, I wish it would stop. Then I wish it would stop. You know, stop, stop liking and commenting. You know, then I just feel so it's like, you know, can, can never be happy. Right. So it's just, Again, I guess that's that overthinking of, you know, trying to just be comfortable. You know, I, my, I think, you know, it's just turning into like a psychology, psychological analysis of me. But um, <laughs> one of my, one of my biggest weaknesses, you know, as I often lack the courage of my convictions, so I can be easily be swayed. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been terrible on debate team in high school. You know, I believe this. Oh yeah, well I believe this. Okay, you know, it's just. I can just easily be swayed, and so if I you know, could be seeing someone else's photo or just response to my work you know I, I can just you know i guess that's a general lack of confidence that's always there you know sometimes i like to pride myself as being very confident and sometimes i am but again like talking about insecurities there are those periods of varying length when you're not you know and it's just dealing with that you know and that's where you know the comparison that's where you know the downside and you just wrote about it in the petapixel you know article you just had which is really well done it's just about you know seeking that popularity and you know you want it but you don't want it you know it's nice to have but you also can't let it go to your head you know you can't seek it right it yeah. just has to happen yeah and that's, the, that's the key and when it does happen be grateful for it and don't be embarrassed by it but when it doesn't happen have the courage to say you know what well i love that photo it's one of my favorite and if nobody else gets it then oh well you know but it's hard to do that because if, if it doesn't get you do wonder you know am i just kidding myself <laughs> but it's one actually this is actually good <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but it's one image you know so maybe it's not it's not your whole body it's not an indictment of your entire body of work you know we're more than just the latest image we posted you know so yeah it was funny i um i posted something a few weeks ago and it was mostly just out of trying to come up with um you know, just something interesting to engage people on in social media. It wasn't really meant to like, here's a really cool photo I took, right? It was more of just a, here's a photo and like it can spark a conversation. Right. And um, it was a photo I took like in 2014 of a waterfall and it wasn't like a great photo, but it's a photo I always liked. And I, <laughs> I like right from the get-go of my post, I was... Um, very self-critical, like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a great image. Um, and the reason I'm like, I'm sharing it is like, I think, I feel like I've changed a lot since 
I took it. Sure. The photographer. And I, and I'm like, I think the question I asked myself was like, I wonder how the 2021 Matt would have photographed this scene if I were to shoot it again. <laughs> and my really good friend, Eric Bennett, and you can actually see his book right there. I just got in the mail yesterday. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, he posted some funny comment, but it really irked me, but it was like, Oh, I bet you would have processed it differently. I know that for sure. Like he was joking, of course. Right. I kind of was like mad. Like, yeah, dude. Like you don't have to point it out to like my yeah. entire Instagram following that it's a shitty photograph. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This looks like crap. Yeah. But it's like, why do we? Like, I already set myself up for that scrutiny, and right. I got it predictably, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. still upset by it. Like, why do we do that to ourselves? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And that's where, that's the, I know, with social media, sometimes I find it, it's such a trap for that kind of just, you know, it's such a rabbit hole you go down and you, and you find yourself worrying about these stupid things. And, 100%. And it's just, no, you know. It doesn't just, matter. No, it doesn't. And so, and I feel ashamed of you that we're even spending this much time talking about it. I mean, I'm not <laughs> blaming you or, it just, you know, it's just. But it occupies a decent amount it, of your headspace, right? You know, and it can't, you know, but unfortunately, it, it, it's damaging when it does that because it really just, you know, it shakes confidence unnecessarily. It can do this. It can do. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it just, you know, yeah, it just got to find ways of, of just finding, it's not finding validation, but just feeling, you know, you, you have to learn to feel good about your work yourself, you know, and just be confident in that. And, not let it be shaken by others. You yeah. Know? You know, you can be shaken easy enough by your own moods, you know, yeah. you can't let others, but so that's all social media is. It's you're just being bombarded by others, you know, and it's just, hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, going back to our original question about difficulties of being a full-time artist, I feel like one of the interesting things about becoming a full-time artist is that it kind of, thrusts you into this situation by which it tests it tests you as a human being on all kinds of dimensions whether it be your resilience whether it be your business savvy or your marketing ability or your ability to relate with others like you were describing or um you know being a good mathematician or good with excel spreadsheets or filling out forms or being a good person with logistics or so i feel like what's interesting about about it is that it it really can help you see truly like it distills down your true strengths and weaknesses right sure oh yeah yeah it does um you're right i mean i you know i used to before i started doing it full-time i would ask certain people sometimes you know would you like to oh no you know because of all the pressures of it you know i i they would say or i would often hear you know the pressures of having to make money, that would ruin my love of photography. I never bought that. It's like, well, now if you really love it, you know, you're still going to, you're still going to love it. But I think maybe what they meant, and I, now I get this is not all those things get in the way, you know, of it. Um, yeah. I, I'm envious of, and sometimes I ask myself, you know, for the years, several years, you know, again, when I was working from remotely doing the geology stuff part-time in some ways, it was the best of both worlds. And it's just like, but no, I wouldn't go back to that just because it really wasn't me. I was still wasting time doing stuff I didn't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, it takes time to, to get used to it. But I am envious of those who can do it full time, yet, but yet don't have to worry about money. <laughs> right. Isn't that the idea? Isn't that ideal? Right. Because then you, you know, there's certain things you just don't 
have to do if you don't want to do, you know, and there's certain things if you are doing it full time and money is, is, is an important part of it that you just have to. Right. If you need to put food on the table or pay rent to put a roof over your head, it probably will change yeah, the way you and, approach and it. And that's why, that's one reason why I didn't make photos for, you know, four or five weeks. Cause it was just, it was a busy spring, which was good. You know, I had three workshops back to back to back and that's great. And that's all good. And I recognize that, you know, but <laughs> this is not why I'm a full-time photographer to lead workshops is not why I'm doing this. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, I do those because yeah, I do enjoy them, but they're, they're hard. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Leading workshops is difficult, especially by yourself. It's exhausting. Mm. I'm hoping and it's getting easier for me. I'm learning how to do it better. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's reasons why personally that I find it probably more exhausting maybe than some people, but you know, it's just, it's yeah, exhausting. I think, I think if you haven't done it before, you may not appreciate just how much goes into it to do it well, to do it well. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I want, you know, in that regard, I'm a people pleaser. People are paying good money, you know. So this is why I never host parties at my house, you know, because <laughs> because because if because if one person was not having a good time, it would eat at me, you know. Right. And that's Even what though, I'm like the night- what if one person out of the workshop is not having a good time, but the other ten are are just happy as clams? It'll kill me, you know, and it'll distract me, and it'll just. And so there's that fear of, you know, is everybody happy? Is everybody satisfied? You know, and that's exhausting it <laughs> is. aside from decision-making logistics and, you know, trying to pair locations with weather and time of day. And of course, then the forecast changes and you're constantly changing that around. And they're always asking questions. Where are we going to go this evening? Well, it's just, <laughs> oh, it's like, it's like hurting kids sometimes, you know, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but it sounds like you have a similar thought process, but it's, like it's always nagging at the back of my head. Like, am I, is this helpful? Like, is someone getting value out of this? Like, like, and you're always asked, like, you always almost want to ask them, like, like, is this, is this working for you? Like, do you like this? Right. You know, yeah. it's um, a lot of that's rooted in self doubt, but. I think so. And, and, and experience like this year, I finally, like the spring worship, I finally felt like I was coming into my own and yeah, my point, my way of doing them and things we've talked about, you know, getting that across about, you know, expressing your own vision and, and, and yeah. And, and people are getting it, which is, you know, very rewarding. And it's like, okay, you know, this is, this I'm is actually working, something so. here. Yeah. I'm onto something here and now I'm learning how to do it and also relax a little bit. So I don't cause myself to have a nervous breakdown. Um, <laughs> no, because what's no. the point? You know, I mean, you know, you've got to, you got to enjoy doing this stuff. Right. So, yeah. well, you got to give yourself permission, Chris, to, to know that, you're you're you must be doing something right i guess yes i know i yeah i know it's very kind of you <laughs> yes i know <laughs> awesome but it can be better but anyway that's all right always it can always be better you know coming full circle let's um closing out can you tell us a little bit about uh your work with the adirondack photography institute and also um your availability as a guest speaker for camera clubs and conferences. Oh, sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yep. I've again, for four years now, Adirondack Photography Institute, it's been around for probably at least 15 years, mm. number of different instructors over that time. Um, I like the principles it was founded on the, the photographer who founded it. He died recently, he died young of an illness, but, um, mm. but he was really all about, you know, this is not a photo tour. This is all about, again, helping people find their, their vision accessing it right it's all in us it's just having it come through in their photos and so i like that not all the workshops in the adirondack some are other parts of new york state um as well as oregon um 
So again, I've, I've been with it really, really relatively short time. There's just me and another photographer, Mark Bowie, who are doing it. And um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's through them mostly. Although this year I did a couple of my own independent of them. I'm just breaking away and kind of doing my own thing and stuff like that. So um, camera clubs and, you know, I love giving presentations to camera clubs and things like that. So it kind of goes along with the workshops and things like that. So, yeah. And now, you know, with one thing the pandemic did, of course, as we all know, everybody knows Zoom now. So, you know, you don't have to drive far. You can do presentations for camera clubs for anywhere. So yeah, it's been really great. Yep. So anyway, it's not as fun as obviously is in person, but it does make it easier. I've done a, I've done a couple of those. I just did one for the, for a San Diego photography club. So it's, Mm. it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That must be a big one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's cool having that kind of barrier lifted. And I think people are realizing like, Oh, maybe that's actually kind of a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Chris, well, wrapping up, who would you recommend uh, we either know about or maybe um, someone that we might want to have here on the podcast? Certainly. Um, Yeah. The first one that comes to mind, uh, Thomas Fleckenstein. Um, He lives in Iceland. Um, Fabulous photographer. Um, Just very creative work. You know, I hate to call them intimate type landscapes. I guess a lot of them are. But he does completely different work for Iceland. Um, it's unlike anything you normally see from um, photographs from Iceland. And, and with all these photographers, one thing I like about it, one thing I'm drawn to them is they're very, you know, um, if you call me introspective, they're also like that. You know, they're just, you know, into their work. Um, they don't post all the time. Um, they're just kind of quiet. You know, they do it for the love of it and, it just seems really real and authentic. And mm-hmm. So Thomas Fleckenstein is one. Um, one is a guy who lives in Spain, if I'm pronouncing it right, Jean or Jaime Lawrence, um, J-A-U-M-E. He's on, Inst- all these are in, on Instagram. But, um, a monochrome photographer mainly, uh, but just really creative, different type of work as well. Just a unique way of seeing, but all very related. I mean, you can, when you see his photos, you know it's him, which I, which I think is uh, huge. Yeah, that's... Which is great, right? Yeah, and when they're... You don't know them personally, but when you see that work, it's like, oh yeah, that looks like him. And then you find it is, it's like, wow, that's, like, that's boom. for them. Yeah, I have the uh, same reaction whenever I see, if I don't see whose photo it is, and I'm like, I that looks like a so-and-so. And then you see that it is, you're like, oh, it's uh, it's like a yeah, revelation. Like that's the that's the goalpost that I'm aiming yeah. for. I've had some, I mean, my circle is kind of small, but I had some people say that. It's like, I knew that was you. I'm like, oh, really? That's that's nice. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's like um, the, the perfect compliment, right? That though, because then you really know that you're coming through and you've done it more than once, you know, yes. you're creating a body, you're creating a body of, this is my ultimate goal. I know we're getting off the top of the ground, but no, you're good. You're creating a body of work that if somebody didn't know you, they could learn a lot about you by looking at your photographs. And, yeah. You know, that's something. But anyway, um, yeah. Nader Dye is another one or day N-A-D-E-R. He's in Oregon, I believe. He's been photographing for a long time. Every now and then he'll post a photo, you know, and he'll say Fuji Velvia from the nineties. But very timeless, abstract and intimate work. You know, it looks like it could have been made yesterday. Hmm. Um, Matt Oliver, he's in the UK. Just wonderful woodland scenes. Yeah. He's a wonderful one. And then I know this sounds self-serving, but my partner in the Adirondack Photography Institute, Mark Bowie, aside from being a fabulous photographer, um, the consummate professional, but also he's he's been around a long time. And, you know, he made a name for himself before social media. And so... He does, he is on social media, but very little presence. He'll post something once every month, you know, and 
you know, um, that's just not his thing. And so it's, it's a good perspective for, you know, somebody, but also I think he's just a great guy and super kind. And like I said, the consummate professional. Nice. Well, thank you. I had, I had a little bit of a laugh because you, um, you were talking about the, uh, I think you said something like, oh, I hate to call it, you know, intimate, you know, like use that word. Mm. And I just had a little bit of a adolescent chuckle because uh, <laughs> when Alex Nail and Tim Parkin and I and Rajas, Joe the Swarm and I were talking about what to call the various awards that we're giving out for our competition, the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, we have a intimate and abstract category. Right. And I, I foolishly suggested calling that award the master, in, intimate master, right? <laughs> like on that may not work. Yeah. yeah. When you say I'm the intimate master, it just <laughs> exactly, it has yeah. a whole other connotation. And it's, yeah, and, and, you, and you get like a little bit of a laugh about it. So mm-hmm. I have, every time someone says that, I, I, I can't help but have a 14 year old yeah. little bit of a laugh. I know. Yes. Yeah, so it's hard to suppress sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I apologize yeah, yeah. for my immaturity. No, no. Trust me. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, Chris. Well, man, this has been such a fun conversation. Oh, thank you, man. No, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, this I've never been kind of interviewed before, so you're you're my first. Yeah, and you were very gentle with me, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's that's my goal. Okay. Awesome. No, I've enjoyed it. It's it's I appreciate it. So thank you so much. Of course. Well, thanks again to Chris for the great chat on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of your work, and I hope to see more of it in my email and social media feeds very soon. I encourage other people to head over to Chris's website and subscribe to his newsletter. His articles and blog posts are really interesting, and I think you will gain a lot by following along. Also, if you wish to be inspired by Guy Tal's book, just like Chris and I have, I've placed the link and discount code in the show notes for you. Thanks, Guy, for producing such inspiring writing by which we can all grow as artists and human beings. Okay, let's talk about what's coming up next on the podcast. Next up, we have Scott Wilson. He recently battled stage 4 colon cancer and has been producing some incredible work of wild mustangs. We had a really authentic time discussing his battle with cancer and the role that his photography has played in his recovery. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.